I'd like to read a section in the book, please. If we okay. could open up to page 228. This is for you, Mary Laura. It used to be that with some good light and some well-placed concealer, I could pass for a decade younger. Not anymore. Now my baby face has turned into my lady face. Since I last logged a mental image of it, everything seems to have shifted slightly downward, like a pie thrown at the wall, just after it makes impact and before it starts sliding. My good word. <laughs> it's true. My whole good face Lord. My whole face used to sit up here and now it sits down here. And I know it's going to keep going. Sylvia, her face doesn't look like a pie sliding down the wall. My baby oh. face has turned into my lady face. I think she inherited good genes. I think she's going to keep that lovely complexion. Sunscreen. On and on. Me and All My Friends. A podcast about love, life, and joint pain. Produced in partnership with Blakeford Senior Life. By the way, can I can I ask a general question about book groups, Sylvia? Do you find that people either make a lot of comments about the beginning, they try to make thoughtful comments about the beginning of the book because they haven't read it, or conversely that they uh, make a lot of comments about the end of the book because they, they want to make you feel bad or they, they want you to know that they read it? You know what I'm saying? Does that happen? Oh, Ben, I hope it doesn't. <laughs> My mom's in a book club. She never reads the book. Oh. You have so little faith, and I oh. bet they all read the book. I don't know. Being with this book club is a new thing for me, really. I used to teach elementary school, and this, this is interacting with adults, and it's totally different. But they've been very kind and receptive, and they're very bright people in okay. this group. Okay. Which helps. I just I just thought if I came here and I started citing like, all right, let's go to page thirty, let's go to page thirty five, hey, let's go back to page eighteen, they're gonna be like they're gonna know that I didn't read the book. Or if I was gonna go to the last chapter and keep making comments about the last chapter, it was gonna be like I was brown nosing the author. <laughs> Does that resonate at all? Uh, well no. That's a uh, cynical the book we view, read man. earlier was nine hundred pages. It was Doris Kearns, Goodwin, Team oh, of Rivals. Yes. We took two months to do that. That's and a couple of the women said, you know, I'm going to give this back to you. I just can't handle it. It's too much. But if you stick through it, as some of us did, maybe four out of ten did, just fell in love with the book. You're observational. She is text interpreter so good. with all those letters. Um, By the way, Mary so, Laura, that's the book that when I suggested we do a book club reading, Sylvia here said, why don't we read? Doris Kern Goodwin's 900-page <laughs> biography of Lincoln. And I said, why don't we read Mary Laura's it is breezy 270-page It is read. much shorter. <laughs> well, why don't we, I mean, why don't we start by just going around and each introduce ourselves? Okay. We'll start with you. Okay, I'm the oldest. <laughs> and according to my friend on my left, I am in the 89th grade. <laughs> That's a great grade to be in. Yeah. Right. And um, I've lived here at Blakeford. It'll be eight years. My husband and I moved here in 2014, and we had five wonderful years. And um, he became ill and fell, had a hip replaced, and survived that. He was just fine, but there were other complications. And so he died December 27th, 2019. And so I've been here without him 
missing him, but getting along okay. But you know, this is the first time I've ever lived by myself. I went from my parents' house to being a, a bride and then all that. So here I am. It's really kind of nice. Well, Sylvia, you, uh, your name, I don't know if you mentioned your name. You're Sylvia Dupre. Sylvia Dupre, right. Born in Columbus, Ohio in 1933. And I was the youngest of five children. And the oldest and the youngest in the family were born in this country. The siblings in the middle were born in Italy. You run the Blakeford Book Club? Yes. What is yes. the name of the club? Blakeford Book Club. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. And, and who, do, who do we have uh, here? Who are you, Pam? <laughs> what am I doing here? I am Mary Laura Philpott. I'm the author of the book that we've got on the table in front of us, Bomb Shelter, which Bomb is my shelter. second memoir after I Miss You When I Blink, which came out in 2019. And I, well, I learned right before we started recording this conversation that Sylvia and I eat the same breakfast every day, which is Cheerios, Cheerios. mixed with granola and fruit. But uh, we also, I now know, came to Nashville at the same time. So I was born in Nashville, but I did not grow up here. And then I came back eight years ago in 2014. So I've lived here this time since 2014 with my family, my husband and Two children who were children when we got here and are, are rapidly turning into adults. So soon there will be fewer of us in our house, too. So this is great. This is the first time on Me and All My Friends that we're doing a book club discussion. And, and we have the author here in the flesh. Yeah. You couldn't have picked a better one. That is exciting. And you also, Mary Laura, you hosted a, a show on Nashville Public Television. I yes. did. I did. A Word on Words, which was a, an interview program with fellow authors on Nashville Public Television, which still runs and is great. My co-host, JT Ellison, is still co-hosting it. Um, I did it for six years, and I loved it. But I discovered during the pandemic that something I used to think was true about myself is not so true. I thought I did better work the more jobs I juggled. I thought I was a good multitasker. And when the pandemic came along and I had to stop doing as many things as I was doing before, I realized I do better work the fewer things I do. Yeah. So I said goodbye to that job, and I'm now just really trying to focus on, on books. Sylvia, have you seen this program on NPT? Yes, I have. Well, when I when we first talked and you mentioned Mary Laura Philpot, I said, "Oh, she's from Word on Words," but I thought you were still doing it. And I, I've watched it and I keep track of. It. It's hard to find when programs are coming on it that is. network, NPR, NPT. But I think I did catch you live at one time, and oh, I good. wish she were back again. Well, and to be clear, you said you were starstruck. Yes. <laughs> but look at her. Now she's here. I know. I can't believe it. Do you feel, still feel starstruck? Absolutely. <laughs> she's wonderful. So why don't we, uh, oh, and I'm Ben, by the way. That's my introduction. Why don't we start with Sylvia? I'll, I'll give you the honors. We are discussing today Mary Laura's new book, Bomb Shelter, which comes out when, Mary Laura? April 12th, 2022. So how would you like to start this off, Sylvia? How, how should we do this? I just an overview of the book is i they've overused this word compelling you know you just want to keep reading 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 and that's exactly how i felt i felt so many connections she had a turtle in her family and we had a turtle in our family oh you did my sister's husband was a fisherman and he thought 
our children would like to have a turtle. So he came up for Wellston, Ohio for a visit and dropped off a turtle. And um, so the kids enjoyed it. They would take it for a walk. I remember a friend called and she said, what's Betsy doing? I go, she's out walking the turtle. (laughs) On a leash? (laughs) Yes. Oh, that's amazing. Um, How do you get a leash around a turtle? Well, I... My husband drilled a hole in the shell. Oh, no. <laughs> Up, uh, you, know, you know, you trim your nails, and horses have their horses' hooves, uh, the hooves trimmed, so we thought it would be safe to huh. use the shell. Can we get Pete And on so the we line? ran a, a <laughs> string through that, and he'd walk along. Um, interesting, interesting. I, uh, I used to think, by the way, I don't want to go on a tangent, but I used to think that horseshoes were their hooves. Yeah. And I thought they put those on. And I thought they just had nubs. Yeah. Like they didn't have feet until someone attached until them. Until someone put that, that horses. thing. horses. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Now, maybe to back up for a second, Mary Laura, could you just give us a summary about yes. Bomb Shelter? Sure. Okay. So Bomb Shelter is a memoir. It's a true story. It is it's what I like to call a slice of life memoir, a memoir about a period of time in somebody's life. And the period of time in my life that it's about is what I think of as kind of a hinge between one phase of living and another. And that hinge period was the two years before my first child would leave the nest, which was a time I had built up in my head as a big thing. Like it's, you know, this is the end of everything when they start leaving me. And around that same time, other things were happening in my life that were kind of periods of change. I was getting older. My parents were getting older. My relationship with my work was changing. So it was a snapshot of a changing time. But what added some urgency to that time and what I write about in the book is that um, two years before my son graduated from high school, he had his first epileptic seizure which is something we did not see coming at all. We had no idea this was, you know, something about his health that we needed to look out for. So the book begins with my husband and I finding him on the bathroom floor, unconscious, having a seizure one morning. And so from there, it goes into my kind of thinking, well, we've only got two years to get him ready to leave. And how could he go live on his own if I can't be there taking care of him? And I'd sort of extrapolate that thinking into all sorts of aspects of life. Why can't I take care of everybody? Why can't I protect everybody and keep them safe forever? Um, because you can't. So that's that kind of gives you the plot, as it were. A snapshot. Yeah. Why is it called Bomb Shelter, Mary Laura? Bomb shelter is both a literal place in the book that has something to do with the story that I tell, but also a metaphor for that feeling that we all hit at some point where you just want to keep everybody you love safe and you realize that it's impossible, which if you think about what a bomb shelter is, it's a place you go, you know, in, in, in its worst sense, like a nuclear bomb shelter, it's a place you go to hide from the fallout, but eventually you have to come out. And if something happened that was so bad you had to go into a bomb shelter, what you're coming back out into is a changed world. Mm-hmm. Do you you have a thought? Of, do you immediately write it down or go to your computer and tap it in? How do you put all that together? I've been getting better about that in recent years. I used to think, oh, I'll remember this. You know, I'd be driving yeah. down the road and yeah. go, I'll remember that when I get home. I never remember when I get home. So I do a lot of voice memos in my phone while I'm driving. I'll say, hey, Siri, take a note. And then I'll say the thing, and it records it. And when I get home, I can look at it. 
I also keep a notepad by my bed so that I'm, ha- you know, when you're falling asleep, mm-hmm. suddenly your brain is full of. Oh, I have my best thoughts. At right. Three, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. So I have a notepad that I can scribble little thoughts on and then wake up in the morning and try to try read to read my handwriting. <laughs> right. Right. That's great. Yeah. Your process of writing, you have all these notes and series voice coming out. You. Do you sit and just. To me, your writing sounds like you're talking to me, and I think that's a compliment. Uh, it isn't stilted. It's just very natural and very captivating. I, under, I just love it. It's just wonderful. Thank you. That ta- that's harder than it looks. I used to read books by, by people and think that same thought, like, oh, this just sounds like they're talking to me. It's mm-hmm. so conversational. And I have realized that that takes a lot of work for me anyway it takes a lot of work well this is a question i wanted to ask and it's a question for you mary laura as a writer but sylvia for you as well which is like come on why why do we write why be a writer like it is it is such a taxing process and i could i I was reading this and going yeah i i i love the description and i can feel her talking to me but then i was also like i bet this paragraph took three days three days yeah. to write so why uh, choose this as a vocation are you insane what's going on <laughs> I guess maybe a little insane I love it I loved English class in school I let you know people would whine and complain about being assigned essays I loved writing essays I love being able to take the static noise in my head and put some order to it it actually gives me like psychological relief to be able to take everything that's in my head and put it down on paper and give it some shape and some order and figure out what I think about things. But I also just, I enjoy, I mean, it's torturous a little bit, but I also enjoy the process of editing. I enjoy typing all my notes out and then going, okay, this is like, it's like having a a bag of Lego blocks and I'm going to figure out what I can build with these and start moving the pieces around and taking out the pieces I don't need and then fine tuning it and, and trying to get it from where it starts, which is very stilted and a mess and where it ends, which hopefully is more conversational and sounds in the ear. Like I'm speaking to you. Right. What, what, what did Kurt Vonnegut said? He said, when I'm writing, he's like, I feel like I have my t- hands tied behind my back and I'm, I've got a crayon in my mouth. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> no. Okay, here's another one. Tell me if this resonates with you at all. I hate writing, but I love having written. Yes. Does that resonate? Um, yes, but I, I, there are moments when I hate writing. When, it, when I'm in the hard part where I, there's a thought that I'm trying to articulate and I can't get it right, I do hate that feeling, but I keep doing it because I, I also kind of love it. It, it just feels so good to get it right, mm-hmm. to go, that's, that's the thought that's been torturing me at night every night. Right. Bam, I got it on paper. May I read a section and then I'll let you go? Sylvia, I'm kind of a motor mouth. But to this, to this point, Mary Laura, page 112. Let's open our books here. Mary Laura, I see you didn't bring I should say this is, page, this is page 112 in a, in a printer's proof, so this will not match final books if people are reading along. So to this point of how hard writing is, The darkened cave of the garage behind me, the bright backyard ahead, the cool concrete floor under my feet, and the earthy vegetal smell of potatoes laid out on newspaper at the the back of the garage. I mean, how long did that sentence right there take you to write? You needed to think of all those adjectives. (laughs) Why do we write? That's ridiculous. (laughs) 
that one didn't take me long because that's a sensory that's a sensory sentence and i remembered that was from a, a distinct moment in the book it was the first time i ever said i hate you to somebody and i said it to my brother and i, rem- I that's a snapshot memory and i can smell it and hear it and feel it and okay. so that like Fine. that's just i can tell you what a memory sounded like or felt like or looked like it's the it's the parts where i'm trying to describe or get across a feeling that is complicated or contradictions in my head. Like, I'm happy about this, but I'm also sad about it. I'm sad that this turtle in my driveway has been run over by a truck, but I'm happy that it wasn't our turtle. Right. But I'm not happy that any turtle got run over. You know, that was sort of a weird example. Is this original to you? Did you ever have a class where they suggested this as a tool to use in writing, or is it self discovered by you this technique you have if it's a technique that just kind of writing the notes and then moving them around i think everybody finds their way to a technique that works and from writer friends i know we all have i do think we all sort of start with the mess you know start with a the mess. messy first draft and then we start moving pieces around yeah. and it, which is you know I don't do much visual art, but I imagine maybe that's like a painting. I'm looking at your beautiful paintings on your wall, and I'm thinking maybe it's like, you know, put down your first layer of paint, mm. and then and then you start blocking out. Here's where the ocean will go. Here's where the sky will go. I don't know. Mm-hmm. For seniors in greater Nashville, Tennessee, Blakeford Senior Life is not just a provider of residential living and services. We are a partner. We work with seniors to create the living experience that works best for them and their loved ones. Whether that's in a beautifully designed residential setting on our Green Hills campus or in a longtime family home, the goal is not to change life, but to enhance and enrich it as you age. Sylvia, you've got some you've got some great notes there, and I, I, I want to hear I want to hear some of these notes. I wish our listeners could see Sylvia's cards. She has these beautiful note cards with. Oh perfect handwriting and it's so tidy and nice well you have a whole book here beautiful (laughs) writings neat and tidy um there was one raven rock (gasps) yes that was and it's from it's where the title comes from yes right yes bomb shelter is not just a metaphor in this book there is a real bomb shelter in the book which is the kind of midway through the book i tell the story of my dad just dropping into conversation one day a few years ago when I was 40-something years old, the fact that when I was a toddler, he had worked on the medical staff of Raven Rock, or Site R, as he called it, which was one of the government's secret nuclear fallout shelters into which the president and other high-ranking officials would go in the event of a nuclear attack. Never mentioned it to me once in my life. And, of course, I was a toddler at the time, so I didn't know. You didn't know your old man was in the CIA? (laughs) As far as I know still, he was not in the CIA, but he was was part of this secret thing. And, you know, he would do these test runs for the end of the world. A siren would go off, and he would get up and leave and go... Get this place ready. So this this was one of my favorite stories in the book. And Mary Laura, you have a line in there where you say you think you know somebody, and then you tell you, you tell the story of how one day you're you're on your floor trying to learn how to juggle for reasons unknown, 
and and then your husband John comes in after you've been married for Lord knows how long, and he goes, "Oh, I'll show you how to juggle," and and he starts juggling. Yeah. So my question for you, Sylvia, is that line you think you know someone. Did that resonate with you at all? Did you think of a time in your life where you're like, oh, my friend or my son or someone, you know, I thought I knew this about them and then out of nowhere. I guess my life has been dull. I don't recall (laughs) having any revelation of anyone. I know when my sister, I guess I was about 40 years old when I learned that her name isn't Edith. What? That's okay, so that's a good one. <laughs> and I said, Well, you know, tell me about that. And she said, Well, Dad named me Italia and in Italy, and she was seven years old when she came to this country and was put in the first grade. And the teacher, I remember her name, Miss Shaw, she had a little ring, she'd knock on the window if you were doing something on the plane. Anyhow, that was Miss Shaw. Italia came into her classroom and she said, You can't have that name. You're in America now. Oh, my God. I'll give you my mother's name. It's Edith. What? And so she came home and she, you know, conversation. I wasn't around. I was born three years later. But anyhow, her story is that she told her parents this. And in my family, the teachers are revered mm-hmm. because they are maestra, the masters. And so whatever the teacher said was what we did. And so... My sister Italia became Edith, but at home we called her Eda, Edie, and wow. she shortened it to Edie. So, here's my take: that teacher can go to hell. So you did not know this story until you were adults, and she That's mentioned right. it to you. That's right. Wow, isn't that something? It never occurred to me. I have a sister Maria, a sister Lucia, a brother Nick. And a sister Edith. Where did Edith come from? It never <laughs> occurred to me to ask. It, it came from that that teacher's nosy mother. teacher. <laughs> wow. My version is my. I just found out recently that my mom's mom had her when she was like forty five or something. Oh. Which, when you're born, when you have someone at like forty five, forty six, whatever it was in the in the fifties, mm-hmm. that seemed pretty uncommon at yes. that. Like that, that seems uncommon now, right? What did you find out about that? Oh, sorry. That was it. Just that, that was my, just it? I thought my mom's mom had her when she was like 30 or something. I didn't realize that my grandmother had my mom when she was 46, 47. Well, that's so true. I experienced that. My mother was 42 when I was born. And I always thought something was wrong with me because her friends would say, oh, she was my change of life, baby. Oh. And I thought, oh, my goodness. What is that? You changed her life. <laughs> Change of life, right. baby. And I'm later for, you know, we're going through menopause. This happens sometimes. But wow. my mother was perfect, I thought. <laughs> very loving, very comforting. More so than, I don't know, to my other sisters. Oh, because you were the baby. I was the baby. That's right. And my sister's. Didn't let me forget it. <laughs> May I make a uh, a, com- a general comment about the book? I so I loved it. It's very funny, like you said. It's a series of slice of life essays, mm-hmm. and I had a couple large impressions of the book. One of the, my main impressions is that your gift as a writer is you're really good at observing other people, observational skills. 
not that the essays about yourself weren't great, they were, but I, what I loved the most was when you were observing someone else, when you were observing your husband, John, or you were observing the turtles in your neighborhood, or when you were observing, you know, how people act on the next door app in your neighborhood. <laughs> so that was my impression. I don't know, Sylvia, if you got that impression, but I was like, oh, Mary Laura is, uh, she's a great observational writer. That's when right. it was really singing for me. And in addition to observing other people, she knows herself. She has a mirror that she looks into and um, can see herself. And I think that's an important thing for each of us to know what we're like. Um, Would you like to respond to these uh, these? Uh, yeah, I, it, that's neat to hear. Yeah. It's one of the things that I was very careful about in this book, because this book does have more... Um, more of my family in it than anything else I've ever written. And I wanted to be very careful about their privacy, particularly my children's privacy, even though they're, you know, one of them will be an adult by the time this is out and the other's getting close. But um, I also wanted to make sure I was only telling the story that it's my business to tell, and that is my story. It's not my business to say, once upon a time there was a boy and he had a seizure and here is what happened after and how it changed his life and how he felt. That's not my story. That's his story to tell one day if he wants to. I wanted to tell once upon a time there was a girl who was always a worrier, but also always thought if she just took good care of everybody around her, she could keep everyone safe and everything would be fine. And then this bomb dropped into her life and this thing happened to her child and here is how it changed that part of her life. I wanted to really keep the focus on telling my story. I'm raising my hand. I have a question. Yes. So what we're having right now is a transgenerational conversation, right? Like we're people in different stages in our lives. My question for you, Sylvia, is hearing Mary Laura say that, that she, she is this person and she, she was a warrior and she wanted everything to be well. I'm just curious as someone who is older than Mary Laura and was a, were you a parent? Were you a parent? Should have asked Twice. Twice. A son and a daughter. How did you react reading these things that Mary Laura was writing? I just thought I was extremely lucky because I didn't have a child who had an epileptic seizure. I don't know how I would have reacted with that. I think I've been really fortunate. My kids have been a joy to me, and I'm sure maybe their point of view would be different. But um, and observing people have lots of opportunity to do that here at Blakeford, <laughs> with so many personalities and so many concerns that everyone faces. And I just step back and think, oh my gosh, I'm so lucky. I remember asking. Um, we had a visiting minister here who had come from. Uganda, and he was very bright. And I said, you know, here I am. This was maybe four years ago. I said, what am I doing here, you know, and uh, what's ahead? And he said, take each day as a gift and make the best of it. And I thought, what good advice that is. Mm -hmm. So, but I don't dare say that to my friends here. Um, Why? Um I don't want to appear that I know more than they do than, than their illness. I try to be uh, understanding. Um, a friend just told me today she might have have to have carotid surgery. And I, oh my gosh, that would be really heavy. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So in a place like this, that sort of thing happens, and um, let it roll off your back, I yeah. guess. I'd like to read a section in the book, please. If we okay. could open up to page 228. This is for you, Mary Laura. It used to be that with some good light and some well-placed concealer, I could pass for a decade younger. Not anymore. Now my baby face has turned into my lady face. Since I last logged a mental image of it, everything seems to have shifted slightly downward, like a pie thrown at the wall, just after it makes impact and before it starts sliding. My good word. (laughs) It's true. What? Explain that. That's not... It, well, I, I was just telling somebody this earlier. So um, when I turned this book in a year ago to my editor, I asked my friend Heidi Ross, wonderful, brilliant photographer, to take new author photos of me because I already looked so much older than myself in the photos from three years prior because in that time I had gone on a book tour, which was exhausting and I think aged me a decade. We uh, had started pandemic life, which had aged me in yet more ways. So I said, we need, I need new photos that actually look like me. So we took the photo that by the time people hear this, maybe in the book is out, they'll see a photo on the book jacket that I took a year ago. I don't even look like that anymore. It's like just, a pie sliding down the wall? Yeah, the, my, whole face, my whole face used to sit up here and now it sits down here. And I know it's going to keep going. Sylvia, her <laughs> face doesn't look like a pie sliding down the wall. My baby oh. face has turned into my lady face. I think she inherited good genes. I think she's going to keep that lovely complexion. Sunscreen. On and on. Is our friend. Yes. <laughs> right. I don't know what accounts for wrinkles. I, th- I think it's because you've been in the sun too long, been baked out. But I've, I've spent a fair amount of time in the sun growing wrinkles. <laughs> you have they beautiful do appear, skin. Appear. Yeah. We get that from my mother, I guess. Blakeford Senior Life. Visit us at blakeford.com to learn more about our innovative senior living solutions in Nashville, Tennessee. Coming up next. Do you believe in an afterlife? Yes. You do? I think. Um, Wow, I've never asked that question. I usually skirt that question. (laughs) We're getting deep. We're getting deep on this podcast, Ben. Hey, Mary Laura, what's your favorite sto- essay in this book? Um, I mean, I have a soft spot for the the third chapter, which is called Hurry, Hurry. And that is, that's the moment from which the rest of the book unspools, and that is the chapter about finding my son. Um, and I think I have a soft spot for that because I'm so grateful to him for giving me permission to share that story as a way of kicking off this larger story. And it is, I mean, it is a before and after moment. There was our our lives up to that morning, and there has been our lives afterward Mm -hmm. for for him, for me, for his dad, for his sister. So it's, to me, one of the most important moments in the book, but also because it was so personal and, and did overlap with an important part of his own personal history, I knew I had to get that chapter so right I wanted to do right by him, and I. Th- this is I don't know if this is weird to say. I think it's the best. That chapter is the best thing I've ever written. Might be the best wow. thing I ever do write. I spent so much time on every word and comma and just. 
I mean, I can when I think of that chapter, I picture where I sat on my screen porch of my house at the you know kind of early pandemic times, just going over and over and over it until every single sound was right. Did you share any of this with your son when you were writing it? Oh yes, he knew, so he knew I was writing this book and that that moment would be an important part of the book. And he knew as I was going along. And then at the end, when I had a manuscript ready to send to my editor, I had him read it. I had he and my daughter and my husband all read it, and you know gave input and blessings. And he's he's all three of them are very gracious and generous it's a blessing it's really wonderful yeah your observations of your again you were observationally so great but your observations of your husband john yes kill me in this book when you talk about him his quirk in traffic when you talk about him as a juggler and then there's a section where you talk about what type of fruit he would be. Yes. And so I just wanted to ask, could you tell that story? And then could we all just go around and say what fruit we would be? Yes. Okay. So my husband, John, is such a dear and wonderful person. It's so much steadier and calmer than I am and doesn't tend to ca- catastrophize things. His mind doesn't go where mine does. Um, and he's just, I love him. He's awesome. He's such a good foil to me in real life. So he told me at one point when we, early on after we had met, that when he was a teenager, he had gone to some sort of interview, I guess a job interview, where one of the questions was, mm-hmm. what kind of fruit would you be if you were a fruit? And I said, well, what did you say? And he was like, well, you know, obviously, I said a cantaloupe. Or what? <laughs> he had like this very quick, immediate answer and a reason for it, just ready to go. And I thought, how, how, do, you, how do you boil your essence down to just one fruit? Like, I would want to give 10 different fruits and why I was a little bit of a lemon, but also kind of an apple and sort of a pineapple. And he was just like, no, it's, it's this. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. And, and I, I love that. about. I mean, even from a young age, he was that way. He knew himself. He knew who he was. And to this day, I don't know what fruit I would be. Maybe a grapefruit. I like grapefruit a why lot. Um, it, looks, it looks a lot like an orange, but it's a little more complex. It's a little bitter. Um, I also just like gra- like I'm just picking a fruit I like. I like grapefruit. I've always always have. Yeah. And I also think its name is funny. Grapefruit. It's not a grape. Why right. is it called grapefruit? That's true. It's got a grapefruit has a sense of humor. Lots there. Mm-hmm. Did you explain why your hut? Sorry, I was looking away for a sec. Did you explain why cantaloupe? Oh, oh. I, what did he say? Something like it. It looks kind of boring on the outside, but if you get to the inside, it's really flavorful and interesting. <laughs> it's so true. He, I don't think he looks boring on the outside. Plain. I think he said plain. I'm plain. Kind of... Yeah, I think he's just dashingly handsome. But also, the more you get to know him, the quirkier and more interesting he is. So, Sylvia, what fruit would you be? Can I be a vegetable? Yes. Sure. How about a zucchini? A zucchini? A zucchini. Why? Because they are versatile. You can make zucchini bread, you can have a zucchini souffle, you can have a zucchini salad. It's just very versatile, easy to grow, blends well with other things, plays well with Plays well with others, <laughs> like you. I like that. I like that. That's a great answer. Yeah. That's a great answer. I love that. And a vegetable, so it was healthy. I like yeah. that. I would be a, um, I think I would be a plantain. A really? A plantain. Oh, I know that. Like more tropical than your average banana is what you're going for you there? You just, you think I'm a banana, 
Put him a plantain. You know a little what I mean? more suave. A little more suave, and and I like plantains. They they are. Where delicious. do you buy them? You you get they're right there with the bananas in the produce aisle, right? but they they kind of look like overripe bananas, and they're a little more difficult to make. But you have them with like Caribbean rice bowls. They're mm-hmm. they're delicious. Can you put them on your Cheerios? Uh it's not advisable, but you can. Is it like a banana? It's in the same family. But it's more something that you would uh, saute on a okay on a stove. Is that accurate? Mary yeah. Laura? yeah. I've, well, I've had plantain chips, which I think are delicious. Sylvia, mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a question for you. Now that you're you've got Mary Laura here in front of you, do you have any burning questions for her that you've that you've wanted to ask her? Yes. Will you come to our group? Will you come to Blakeford and speak yeah. to don't, everyone? You don't have to commit Is to that, that on your horizon you at all? I would love to do that. You would? Yes. I just live five minutes away. <gasps> That's we really have fun. a new person who's doing the activities. I'd love to have her contact you and setting yeah. up something. Or I could do it, and she would go along with it. Do you know Margaret Renkel? Yes, she's one of my best friends. Really? Yes. Well, her father-in-law was a resident yes. here. Mr. I Moxley, Ted Harry, Moxley. Yeah. Um, but she came. I don't know whether it was live or a Zoom, mm-hmm. but that was worthwhile. She's, we, in, she's in my writing group. That's when I said I had a meeting this morning before I came here. That's my writing group where we you meet are either. in a writing group? Mm-hmm. Either at my house or her house, and we sit down and we read out loud what we've been working on to each other. That's it's lovely. Fun. I have a question. One theme that was discussed a lot in this book was aging and the passage of time. Yes. And and I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about that before we left. So there are so many sections where, where you talk about this. I think you say something in the book where you're like, there's so much subtraction in, in life when, when mm-hmm. thinking about time. But the, the, the section I just want to talk about real quick is on page 248. Mm-hmm. And, and you're talking about pretty much sending your son off to college, and you get yes. this. You get this brochure that that basically says, "Hey, mm. getting ready for this." Yes, at my pediatrician's <laughs> office. And it says, "You just write, I just got here, and by here I mean here in this exam room, and also here on this earth. My child just got here. We are just figuring this out. What is this leave home situation? I am my child's home. Just ask my uterus. And I can't <laughs> speak to that last part." But that resonated with me in, in terms of like, hey, we all just got here. Like, yeah. you know, we are all, at least geologically speaking, like just here and, and on this earth. I don't know. I didn't have much of a thought outside of that. But no, I, I, lo- I love I lo- that section. Thank you. I love that little part that you that you brought out. I think that all the time. Like, I just got here. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing yet. But I mean, do you do you know what you're doing do we ever figure out what we're doing? No, no. Um, Man. And it, it's planning, I guess. Sylvia, you, you sort of nodded your head when I brought up the, the theme of the passage of time and, and aging and sort of the, the fleeting present, if you will. What was your sort of impression of some of these themes in the book? I don't know. I guess I'm um, a realist. I know... You know, we're all going to die someday, and um, and here I am. I don't have an illness or anything. I, I think in the book, maybe looking back at forty, whatever ailment you have at forty is what's going to do Kill you. Yeah, I end. love that line. 
I, was that in the book? My mom says that, yes. Yeah. Whatever, whatever is going to yes. kill you has already started by That's the time right. you're 40. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, I don't have anything. <laughs> When's it going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> so, but I grieve for the folks who are on their way. Mm-hmm. But then that's a good thing. They tell us in church that that's the the reward at the end. Mm-hmm. So the best is yet to come, right? There you go. Do you believe in an afterlife? Yes, you do. I think. Um, wow, I've never asked that question. I usually skirt that question. <laughs> We're getting this. deep. We're getting yeah. deep on this podcast, Ben. I don't know. I'm still pondering. Same. What do you think about that? I, I want to. Yeah. But I don't know if I do believe it. Right. I want to because it seems like a comforting thing to think. Yes, it is. I remember when we lost a friend and um, soon after Donald died and I made the comment that Ben and Donald will be in the Ohio corner at, up in heaven. Donald and, is your husband? Yes. Yes. I like that. So that that's kind of comforting. What do you think, Ben? Oh my God. I'm not answering that. I plead the fifth. <laughs> I... Uh, what do I think? Life after death. Well, I don't, I, Sylvia, I'm 32. Um, so I don't know if by Mary Laura's definition in the book that I'm middle-aged. You are a baby. I'm a baby. But I, I certainly feel a lot of the same anxieties that you articulate and express in the book of where have the years gone? And can I make a, a, a distinction? comparison to... A Taylor Swift song. Sure. You know, Taylor Swift is now, what is she, 31? And she just released that album that's like Taylor's version of the Red album that came out when she was much younger. Sylvia, do you know Taylor Swift? I know who she is, but I the music no. is beyond me. It's not my realm. There's this song that she wrote when she was younger than she is now, so like I guess maybe 20, called Nothing New. And it's where she's she's thinking about... Will people still love me when I'm not a novelty? When I'm when I'm nothing new, will people still care about me? And there's a line in the song where she says, I can feel time moving. She lies awake at night and she can feel the years going by. So I think whether you're 32 or you're 47 or whatever, if you're a feeling human being, you can feel time moving mm-hmm. if you stop to feel it. And the passage of time, it seems the older you go, the faster it slides by yeah mary laura what was the line in the book where you you said you were like john and i have been married for 30 years my parents have been married for five decades so that means we have 20 left life involves so much subtraction what did you mean by that i I feel like i'm you know i shouldn't say i'm always doing math because i'm not my math skills are not great but it was when my dad i think i mentioned that in the chapter where i described the time when my dad had a heart attack and so i was driving from nashville to my parents in augusta overnight speeding and trying to get there, hoping I would get there while my dad was still alive, um, which I did. He's fine. He's doing great. But I was doing the math on, okay, they've been married now. Like they just celebrated their 50th anniversary. At the time, I was right about at my 20th. And I was like, all right, so if, if, if we follow the same path, we've got 30 more years, which, you know, is silly to do that math because you don't know that, you know. Right. But I do that all the time. Right. Right. That's good to do that. Yeah. We were married 64 years. 64 years. And, uh, and I, there are people who've been married 70 years. And wow. that, that's a long time. But 64 is not bad. How old were you when you got married? 21. 
I was 22. Oh, wow. This I was know. in June. I was t- in, in August. I would have been that age. I was 22, and we got married the day before my husband's 24th birthday. Oh. So 22 and 24. Well, that's the difference. My husband is seven years older than I am. And interestingly enough, my parents, my father is seven years older than my mother. Wow. And my father-in-law is seven years older than my mother-in-law. Isn't that weird? Whoa. I know. It's strange how little patterns repeat, and you don't even know it. It's uncanny. Sylvia, as we as we sort of wrap up here, any any closing thoughts on Bomb Shelter? It's the dearest book. I love it. I'm giving it away to everyone I know and recommending. And I hope Mary Laura will come to Blakeford and speak to more of us. We'd love to have you come. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mary Laura, for you, any any thoughts on on Bomb Shelter or thoughts on writing, life, <laughs> aging, cholesterol, turtles. <laughs> All of the above. I'm just, th- thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. I'm, I'm so happy to meet you and talk about what you've been doing in your book group and also to hear your words on this book. Thank I'm happy you. to be part of that. That's Thanks. wonderful. Mary Laura, when it does come out, where can folks get the book? You can get it anywhere that sells books. If you would like a signed copy, order it from Parnassus Books in Nashville, Tennessee, because that's where I sign all the stock. And in fact, if you would like to order it and request a personalization, you can order from Parnassus, and there's a little window where you can type who it's for, and I'll write their name in it or whatever message you want me to write. Are you going to do a reading at Parnassus? Yes. So, Book tour plans, as you can imagine, in the age of COVID are changing rapidly. What I know is that there will be a preview event the Sunday before the book comes out on a Tuesday. So Sunday, April 10th, there will be something. Stay tuned or check the Parnassus website to see what it is and where. Oh, good. But there will be something then. And then what I hope is that in the fall, after people have had a few months to read it, I can I'll be back home from book tour and I can come to the Southern Festival of Books, which hopefully yes. will be in person again and we can have a big conversation there. Hey, thank you so much, Sylvia. Thank oh, you. Oh, Ben, it's been my pleasure. I've loved having you here. Thank you, Mary Great. Laura. Thank you. Me and All My Friends, hosted and produced by Ben Odo. For more interviews, visit meandallmyfriendspod.com and make sure to follow us at Me and All My Friends on Instagram. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing and leaving us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to Julie Dowd, Brian Barnes, John McHugh, and Warner Tidwell. I'm Mariah Paris, and nobody ever thanks me. Yeah.